As always, it's a privilege to be here with you, to be able to study God's Word together, to be able to continue in our series we're calling Faith Works as we're exploring the book of James together. And so far, we, we've looked at a, a bunch of things, and we're, we're still dealing with chapter 1, uh, but we've looked at the fact that, that uh, in context, that, that everyone deals with conflict. Uh, there's no way we can avoid conflict on, on this side of paradise. And so believers deal with it too. The, the, the difference is, is that we as followers of Christ have the very power of God to lead us and guide us, to give us the wisdom, if you will, to, to be able to flourish in the midst of such difficulties that we may face. And what James really writes to us is this, real understanding of this present salvation that he wants us to experience. And I, I want to explain that a little bit, that when we look in Scripture, salvation is explained as something that has happened, that is happening, and that will be completed. And, and that may be new to some of you, but, but the Scripture talks about the fact that when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we're justified. We're made right with God. That, that's, that's an act that has happened in the life of a believer, and so in that sense, you can say that if you're a follower of Christ, you've been saved. However, the scripture also teaches us that we're becoming more and more like Christ. The word we use there is sanctification. It's, it's a biblical word. It, it literally means becoming more and more like Christ, being the person that God's created us to be. And in that sense, we're being saved. And then there'll be a day that when Christ returns, we will be finished. The work will be complete. Glorification. In that sense, it's, it's salvation's in the future. So I hope I'm not confusing you, but it's important we understand if I say that James is talking about a present salvation, he's talking about what does it mean to walk in the power that God has given us in Christ? What does it mean to walk according to his word? And, and James is going to share with us uh, as we read uh, our text this morning that, the, that God's law is really a law of liberty. And that is polar opposite of what many people believe when it comes to Scripture. Many people look at the Christian life and say, oh, you just have a bunch of rules and you're in bondage. And, and James is going to deal with that this morning. Because the reality is God's law brings freedom. It brings liberty. And, and so a key then to growing and flourishing in Christ is the very word of God. And so James puts it this way. We need to be doers of the word, doers of the word, not just knowers of it, but doers of it. But how do we become doers of the word? Well, that's what James is going to answer for us. And so we're going to jump right in. James 1, 19 through 20 reads this way. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, so remember, put this in context, James is talking about God's word, and if we're to be doers of God's word, then we must first be those who hear God's word. We've got to hear God's word. James is raising the critical question of how we move from those who have entered into this new birth, this, this salvation, this justification being made right with God, to those who now are being sanctified, who are becoming more and more like Christ. And the short answer really goes back to, to verse 18 that we looked at last week, that God brought us forth by the word of truth, his word. And if we're going to grow and, and, and we're going to flourish in Christ, then we need to be quick to hear. Something remarkable happens when we hear the word of God. It's by hearing the word of God that the, the energies of the new nature, the new person we are in Jesus, 
when we come to Christ, we're a new creation, right, church? And, and something happens as we hear the word of God that, that it, it moves us into action. And, and so James writes, we're to be quick to listen. Now, what's interesting is that James, who is writing very practically, does not proceed to outline how we study Scripture. He, he doesn't give us a Bible reading plan. What he does is he gives us an understanding of what it means to effectively listen to God through his word. What he does is provide really this help in a deeper sense of a development of an attentive spirit. An attentive spirit. Now, this may sound surprising, but it is possible, catch this this morning, it is possible to be consistent in daily Bible reading, but to advance no further than moving your bookmark. I want to say that again. It's possible to be consistent in daily Bible reading, but to advance no further than moving a bookmark. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to get there. An attentive spirit, an attentive spirit really spurs growth, whereas an inattentive spirit only allows us to check Bible reading off our to-do list. And what's somewhat unexpected is that James seems to mix together these two ideas of, of sort of getting on with people and getting on with God. Did you catch that? When he's talking about anger and righteousness. And, and James writes that we are to be what? Slow to anger. For what? For, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now here the word righteousness is used to express God's purpose. Righteousness, God's purpose, and specifically God's purpose in us. Our spiritual growth, our, our, our flourishing in Christ is God's purpose for us. He wants us to grow in the Lord. He wants us to enjoy our present salvation, so to speak. To walk with him, to be able to, to flourish in this life in which we live. But we need to know him and make him known. And the growing and flourishing are spurred on by the hearing of the word of God. But anger hinders this from happening. That's what James is writing. The honest truth is that our life with God is not something restricted to, to sort of our time alone with the Lord and that that's somewhat separate than our time with other people. If we don't have an attentive spirit in the ordinary circumstances of life when we're out and about, it's very unlikely we'll have an attentive spirit when we're one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. By God's strength and power, we must sort of cultivate with us, within our entire life, listening ears. To be able to hear God in all the circumstances of life, including the time that we spend one-on-one -on -one with him. In particular, we must use relationships and circumstances in our lives as a training ground for our readiness to hear God's voice and, for instance, avoid anger. In other words, let me put it this way. Life is the pressure test. Life is the pressure test. It determines the genuine integrity of what we're hearing from God and his word. Now, I get it. We don't always enjoy pressure tests, right? You, you pray for patience. What are you laughing at? You pray for patience and your pressure test may be that person at work. And just think about it, sort of a mind shift here. Instead of looking at that person at work who may annoy you, 
and say, what are they doing here? Say, I know what they're doing here. (laughs) It's a pressure test. And Lord, help me pass it today. Maybe you're in a circumstance. You're like, this circumstance isn't fun. And you say, I don't know why I'm going through this. Maybe step back and say, wait a minute, whoa, whoa. I know I'm going, it's a pressure test. Lord, help me flourish in the midst of it. Help the world see something different in me. When they see some circumstances or some people and they don't see hope and they they don't see hope for that individual, help us as God's church be able to say there's never a time without hope because God is sovereign and Lord over all. It's a suppression test. What about what James is writing about slow to speak? I mean, that's interesting because we know we're to share the gospel. We know we are to speak. But a person who is a great talker is rarely a great listener. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you out there are talkers like me? Then you know how we struggle to listen. How many of you are, are quick to give an answer? Then you know how we struggle to listen. By the way, you hear me say we, right? It's been a journey for me. Lord, teach me to listen to you and others. Slow to speak doesn't mean never speaking, and slow to anger doesn't mean never be angry. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Not all anger is sin. Not all anger is sin. But believers should not be consumed by anger. Or should anger be, be carried over to the next stage? You catch that? Giving it an opportunity to fester in the sin. Both Paul and James imply the possibilities of a righteous anger. And, and I've heard people sort of say, I'm angry, but it's a righteous anger. But, but let me caution you. Both give a straight warning that anger and sin are never far apart. Anger and sin are never far apart. Both counsel great watchfulness. Anger is often emotion mingled with self-importance and self-assertion and, and stubbornness. And so, so we got to be careful, even if we're righteously angry, because Paul says, what, don't, don't let the sun go down on even that anger. Don't let it fester. Don't let it become something that isn't righteous. When anger comes in, listening often flies out. And so we want to be watchful of this. And James is teaching this, that, that those who determine to listen to God need to train themselves as listeners. And that to that end, they must cultivate a controlled tongue and a calmer temper. So there's this, this reality that if we're going to be doers of the word, if we're going to allow a present salvation to be enjoyed, to be in a place where, where we can flourish with the Lord, then we need to hear God's word, but we also need to receive the word. There's a difference. There's a difference between just hearing it and receiving it. James writes in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James touches on four aspects of receiving. First he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We're going to look at that in a moment. But we've got to put that away. The second thing he says is you have to have an attitude of meekness, which is like this humble, receptive spirit. Third, we, we must receive the implanted word. Then fourth, he writes the expected results. We have to have this expectation that the word has the power to save us. Now, let me give this caveat. It doesn't mean we're not saved through Jesus. We're saved through Jesus. But the only way we knew about salvation in Jesus was from God's word. 
This present salvation that's becoming more and more like Jesus doesn't come in isolation from God's word. It comes because we conform ourselves to God's word, right? So it's not really the word that saves us. It's Jesus who saves us. It's the spirit who guides us. But you can say it's the word that saves us because we wouldn't know any of these things without it. You follow me? It's like... You say to someone, you know, I led someone into salvation. What's that mean? You shared the gospel with them and they responded. You didn't save them. But if God hadn't sent you, you follow what I'm saying? And and so the word saves in this way. The word saves us because we first came to salvation by hearing it. The word saves us because we become more like Jesus when we conform ourselves to the word of God. And you've heard me say this before if you've been around here. God uses the word of God we know, not the word of God we don't know, to grow us in Jesus. So we got to hear the word, but we also have to receive the word. Every day should provide us with some fresh evidence that we're saved. That God's spirit's at work within us and that the Lord is increasing us and making us more and more like Jesus. Now, by the way, sometimes that every day of knowing we're saved isn't always positive. In other words, sometimes it's, wow, I'm becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes it's like, ow, I need to become more like Jesus. Both have a positive part in us becoming like Jesus. You say, well, how? Well, one is we see the growth. Isn't that amazing? We don't always see the growth day by day, but as we look back, we can see it. But sometimes we're convicted. Ever been convicted? You said something and went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You did something, thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That conviction is a sign of being in Christ too. That the very spirit of God loves us so much that he's going, you're heading down the wrong road. You know, it's like the, the signal in your car, check engine, check engine, right? Turn to Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry. Help me be more like you. What does James mean by this implanted word? Implanted word literally means deeply rooted word. I love that word picture. That the word of God isn't something just sort of shallow laying on top of my life, but it's deeply rooted in who I am. That's our goal. Just when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, when we're presented with this, with this outward message of the gospel, then as we, as we see this outward word of God, as we're reading it, it, and it comes a part of who we are. We receive it. It penetrates deep down into the deepest part of our soul. Simply put, growth follows as we receive more fully the word which we receive as children of God. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus shares the parable of the soils. And he says that there's these different soils, but the only one that really produces, the only one that's fruitful, is the soil that's well-prepared. It's speaking of the condition of the heart. He says the soil where a person wants to receive, who has cultivated that soil to receive what God has given them, will flourish. And of course, he's talking about people. He's talking about us and how we prepare ourselves to receive what God has for us. So our daily bracing of God's word is created in the condition of this implanted word where it germinates and grows and becomes fruitful. And what makes the soil good for growth? Well, first, the soil must be cleared out. And James wrote about that. What do we clear out? Well, all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Can't get any more descriptive than that, can you? All filthiness. All filthiness. 
That word filthiness, by the way, is a word that's often used in the Greek to, to talk about dirty clothing. So get that dirty clothing off. Get it washed. Get it, get it right. And, and rampant wickedness. You know, the, when we realize there's things that we're doing that we shouldn't do, stop doing them. You say, well, it's easier said than done. I know. But the God who spoke the world into existence, that power resides in us through the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to get, grant us victory. Then secondly, we clear the soil by, by nourishing it with meekness. And again, meekness is really referring to this, this ability to, to humbly come before God. Yielding gentleness is a way of looking at it. A yielding gentleness, Lord, whatever you want. Going back to the, so, uh, the soil illustration, then we, we dig out the weeds of filthiness and wickedness, understanding that they can grow back. Have you ever found that to be true? My wife, uh, I don't know, she, she, she loves taking care of the, the yard and, and, and making sure that the, that the beds are, 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 are looking the way they should look, but she hates the weeds. And there's times where I'm like, you should just pull everything up, you know, just, just get it done, because she'll go, they're back again, you know? She goes out and pulls them again. Well, that's what we need to do in our own life. We want that beautiful flower bed, we've got to pull the weeds out. We want to flourish, we've got to get that which would, would strangle that which is good, which would try to steal the nourishment away. Do you ever notice that when we, when we go through a dry spell that the grass all dies and the weeds are still green? Yank them out. Yank them out. All the weeds do is rob all the good stuff from the nourishment they need. And so Jesus says in a parable saying, look, he's, he's, James is reinforcing it. He says, look, let that word of God be implanted deep within your soul and get out those things that would try to rob you of the joy of having the word implanted in you, flourishing in you, creating in you the person who you created to be in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Meekness is a temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good without dispute. Anyone have trouble doing that sometimes? Lord, whatever you want, the answer is yes. So we, we hear the word of God. We receive the word of God. The third thing we need to do, James writes about, is obeying the word of God. Look at James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So let's go back to the Old Testament. The Lord uh, does something. He, he gives the law on Mount Sinai as a means of, of salvation, uh, not as a means of salvation, but as a, as a lifestyle of those who are saved. So, so the Lord gives the law. They're already redeemed. They've already been brought out of Egypt. They've already been, the bondage has already been broken. And, and so God gives the law to show them how do those who are saved live? Think about that. 
And so here they are, the people of Israel. They've been given freedom, and he, he gives them this law. And it's not a law of bondage. Remember when I started the message, I said, the word looks at us sometimes and says, oh, you guys, you have the word. You have all these rules to live by. You're in bondage. And yet the reality of it is we know that the word of God brings liberty. And when, G, when, when God gave the, the Israelites the, the, the law, he was giving them a way of experiencing liberty, not bondage. In other words, he didn't set them free to put them in bondage to something else. He set them free, then gave them the law and said, let me help you live in freedom. And genuine freedom is the opportunity and ability to express what we genuinely are. I want you to think about that a minute. It allows us to really understand who we truly are in Christ and to be able to live in Christ and to be able to walk in Christ and so he gives us this illustration. He says, listen, he says, a man goes and he looks at himself in the mirror and he evaluates himself by what he sees. Another man goes and he looks into the word and he evaluates himself by what he reads. Now there's, there's a drastic difference there, but there's also an amazing similarity that we find there as well. They both look intently. Do you realize that? Do you see that? One's looking in the mirror, and they're looking intently at themselves. The other's looking intently at the word. One goes away, the other perseveres. One forgets what they see, the other one acts in what they've read. And James says this, there's a choice. We can either deceive ourselves or be blessed in our doing. Again, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you would rather be deceived than blessed? But James says we have a choice. We choose one or the other. The problem is this. The person who's looking in the mirror, they're comparing themselves to whom? Themselves. I mean, it almost seems ridiculous, right? Like, how much like me am I? And really what James is saying, such a person has created their own theology, their own understanding of God, their own standards. The world says, you be you. The word says, you be like Jesus. <laughs> See the difference? The world says, if it makes you feel good, do it. The word says, live like Jesus and you'll be good in your doing. There's some drastic differences here. The way of the world says, the word describes it, it says it seems right, but in the end leads to death. The word says, follow Jesus and you'll have life. So is it really a choice between coming up with our own understanding, our own standards, our own theology, and then looking in the mirror and going, man, I'm right on track. Or looking at the word of God and letting it guide our steps. You might have heard me share this statistic. But a survey was done by the Barna Group a couple years back. Only 9%, only 9% of professing Christians in our country have a biblical worldview. 9%. That means only 9% of those who say they're followers of Jesus Christ 
understand the world and life from Scripture. 91%. of those who say they're followers of Christ look in the mirror and they're their own standard. Does that not scare you a little bit? I want to be a nine percenter. How about you? In fact, one of my life missions is to take that nine percent and move it to ten to eleven. You follow what I'm saying? To let people know there's a way to life, but there's also a way to destruction. And I want more and more people to head into that way of life. See, you could say this. You could say, I spent 50 minutes this morning reading the Bible. If you had kids and were trying to get them here, I bet you didn't, but that's okay. I, I spent, I'm just glad you're here. That's a miracle in of itself. Trust me, I know that. But you could say, I spent 50 minutes this morning reading the Bible, and I can remember what I read. It was super. It was uninterrupted, which means that person probably didn't have kids this morning. But James would say, well done. That's great, brother. But now what about obeying the word you read? Have you actually changed your mind so that you now hold to be true that which you learned from the word? Have you decided how you're going to change your behavior in order to confirm to the word you read? That's why very seldom will I ever speak of studying the word without using the word applying the word. That's why James says you, you just can't he- just hear it. You got to receive it. And you can't just receive it. You got to be willing to live it. We grow and flourish in the Lord when we express God's word in Christ-like conduct. Think about it. We begin to understand the link between the law and liberty. Going back to the Old Testament again, we understand that, that the people of Israel were saved, but they're given the law to learn how to live as those who are saved. Genuine freedom is the opportunity and the ability to express what we genuinely are. Listen to that again. Genuine freedom is the opportunity and ability to express what we genuinely are. We are saved if you've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't have to question that. But genuine freedom is the opportunity and ability to express that daily. I belong to the king. He's directing my life. He's showing me what's right and wrong. He's helping me flourish. We're truly free when we, when we live the life appropriated us for God, living in, in the image of Christ and the, the law of God. His word safeguards liberty for us. It doesn't rob us of liberty. It gives us liberty. The law of God is a law of liberty because it safeguards, it expresses, it enables us to genuinely be who we are in Jesus. And you may remember a couple weeks ago, we were looking at wisdom. And one of the qualifications of receiving wisdom is being willing to do what God shares with you. In fact, if someone says, I'm just not getting anything from God recently, he says, is there anything God has given you that you aren't doing? Well, why would he give you something else if you're not willing to do what he's already given you? Well, if we approach God's word and we're just doing it for knowledge but not for life change. We're not getting wisdom. We just know more stuff. Dare I say there are theology departments in this nation at schools 
who aren't Christian schools. It's just part of their curriculum. You can still have a theology major, but it's not even a Christian major. I don't know why you'd want a theology major if you weren't a believer, but there are those out there who are very knowledgeable about the word of God, but they don't believe that Jesus is even the son of God. So those of us within the church, we don't want to be the 91% who may not even be in the word, but if we're in the word, we want to change the word. We want to adapt the word to what we want it to be. Looking in the mirror and saying, I look good. We want to be the nine percenters who say all that I know of life, all that I know to be true, I want from the perspective of God in his word. After all, he created all things. He probably knows what he's talking about. I want to live for Jesus. And this is the blessing that James is writing about. The last verse in our passage, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but doers who act, he will be blessed in his doing. The blessings of a glowing and flourishing life in Christ come from not just hearing the word, but being doers of the word. Only in Christ can we be free. Only through his word can we walk in freedom. See, the life of, of, of the doer of God's word enjoys this good life in Christ. And, and there are lifestyles that are easier. Don't get me wrong. There really are because you can go with the flow in different lifestyles. But there's none better. None better. The doer enjoys the life at its very best. He or she is, is, is not deceived, but set free. Set free in Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, have you received Christ as Lord and Savior? And if not, why not right now? Whether you're here on this campus or watching online, why not in the quietness of your heart? Say yes to Jesus. You've been created to be in relationship with him. Life only works when we're in relationship with him. And if you're in Christ this morning, you've been saved. I ask you, how's your being saved going? Are you hearing the word? Are you receiving the word? Are you walking in the word? Whatever God's calling you to do is your next step. Won't you take it with him? Because there's liberty in Jesus. There's liberty in his truth. The message of the gospel is one of freedom. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Given us, this, given us this amazing opportunity to, to enter into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone in this room on this campus, Lord God, anyone watching online who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of their heart, that they would say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I desire to, to be one of yours. I desire to know you and to live with you and to experience that freedom that you have for us and this side of paradise and the total freedom that we're going to experience when we're living eternity with you in paradise. Lord, I stand up here a fellow traveler. I know what it's like to be inundated with, with other ways of seeing the world, other ways, Lord God, of doing things other than your word and at times being tripped up by that. But Lord, I pray that you would help me. Help me uh, be uh, your follower, your, your, a man of God who, who spends time in your word, not just reading it, but 
but intending to apply it, to allow your spirit to do the work of conforming me into the image of Christ. I don't want to look in the mirror and see myself and go, well, by my own standard, I'm doing just great. I want to look at your word. Not because I want to live in some bondage as the world would see us as believers, but because I want to live in freedom. But just as you gave the law on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, you gave it to a free people. You gave it to people who were saved. And you said, this is a way to continue in freedom. And that's what your word is. It's, to, it's written, Lord God, so that those of us who know you can, can walk in freedom, not in bondage, but in freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So God, I pray we would walk as those that are free in you. And Lord, as you've blessed our gathering here, as we scatter to the places where we live and where we work and go to school and play, I ask that you would use us to be living examples of what it means to to experience your freedom. What it means to desire to see you glorified in our life. Thank you for the price that you paid on the cross to allow us to have this freedom. You died so we can live. You live, Lord God, so we could have the hope of eternity with you. And you grant us your spirit so we have the power to do just that. We praise your name. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.